check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. It is time for us all to break bread together once again, digitally, that is. And without question, the appreciation from me for sharing your time is heartfelt, way more than I can completely express on this microphone. And for those of you that have been around since episode one, boy, oh boy, do you deserve the absolute best participation award. This is a toast to the A-Town, presented by the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andre Aldridge, and as the Hawks are trying to tighten things up heading to the playoffs, man, do I have a super special guest that's going to talk about resilience and adapting to the road ahead when the plotted plan isn't working out as easy as one might have hoped. More on that in a moment. First, let's take care of a little business. Basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code TBPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, and assist means so much more with a DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players. So what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code TBPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code TBPN and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now let's focus on the task at hand for our Atlanta Hawks. Once you're inside of 10 games remaining in the regular season, what's the most important thing for our side? Well, a couple of things are very clear. Working on the road is hard, and that gets exponentially tougher once the playoffs start. The Hawks were going to work in Philadelphia for a second consecutive game as I'm putting this episode together. The good news is a couple of Hawks returned to the floor. Most important, Trey Young. And as we heard from medical man Wally Blaze in the previous episode of A Toast to the A-Town, once he stepped on the floor, the injured ankle should not be a concern for us, the fans. Also back on the floor, Tony Snell. And in this past week, we also saw the first appearance of Chris Dunn healthy, and in a Hawks uniform. But let's not avoid the reality check. The Hawks had lost three straight on the road. Monday's 14-point defeat in Detroit and Wednesday's 44-point drubbing in Philadelphia among them. And we lost Kevin Herter to an undisclosed shoulder injury this week. So again, the challenges of the road are a big focus to me. The other big agenda item for me, with nine games left before facing Philly for the second straight game, under no circumstance do we want to return to the playoffs any place below sixth. Positions seven through ten give you a ticket to the play-in tournament. I mean, to be honest, I'd rather go to a square dancing party. And don't get me wrong, square dancing is an activity. It isn't illegal. Matter of fact, 28 of the 50 United States list square dancing as their official dance. But it's just not at the top of the list of what we want to do. And our team should want to avoid that playing thing like the devil in the church in the middle of a crowded room, as Dave Matthews says. That should be the plan anyway. Now, we've all heard about the best laid plans of mice and men, which reminds me of why I'm so excited about my special guest for this episode. He is not just an Atlanta icon. 
He's an American icon. He was an all-world player, not on the hardwood, but on the baseball diamond. He did hoop growing up, no surprise there, but the road to stardom did not start off well, at least here in Atlanta for him. So I'm thrilled to say that we'll be joined by the great Dale Murphy in a couple of minutes. He'll talk about being a liability when he first put on his Atlanta Brave uniform and how he adjusted to adversity, never stopped putting on hard work, and is a complete believer in those attributes and morals being the key to success, not just in the world of professional athletics, but that they clearly translate into every business and more important, life itself. Dale Murphy is an inspiring person beyond the accolades he achieved for what he consistently did out on the diamond. That's momentarily. First, let's put our toe back on the hardwood. I think it's good that our side played Philadelphia twice this late in the season. The Sixers certainly have their eyes on an NBA championship. They believe they have the league MVP and Joel, Emb Joel Embiid. Now, I wouldn't give him that vote because he'll miss 25% of the regular season. But his impact cannot be denied. Now, among that team's many attributes, the 76ers are closers. Before facing our side on Friday night, the 76ers had led at halftime in 33 games this season. They'd gone on to win 30 of those games, a 30-3 and three record with a halftime lead. But are they 44 points better than the Hawks? In a battle with a reasonably healthy squad for our side, absolutely not. But they are deep. Atlanta native Dwight Howard thinks that he's going to get a second consecutive championship ring this season. Former Hawks great Doc Rivers is giving this current group of Sixers their best shot at making that happen. Now, I said, what happens if our squad is reasonably healthy? Well, that is definitely the hope as we work down the stretch. Again, not for the excuses, but just the facts, ma'am. Heading into Friday night's action, the Orlando Magic, who have just been devastated this season with injuries, had lost 330 man games to injury, by far a league high. Second on that list, the Hawks at 265. Now, depending on how teams officially list injuries, different companies list that metric differently. But it's unquestioned how badly the Hawks have been bitten by the injury bug this season. Hopefully, there's a return for Kevin Herter in the near future from the shoulder injury that he's dealing with right now. And since Herter was also an outstanding baseball player in upstate New York, well, that's a subliminal message for me to make this episode a little bit bigger as we mix our round ball discussion with some serious, serious hardball. You know, every guest I've had here on A Toast to the A-Town has been special. And we've had some incredible athletes. And heroes from the Diamonds have been well represented. Now, we spent time with Brian Jordan, who played a lot of basketball growing up in Baltimore. Um, Kenny Lofton, who went to college on a basketball scholarship. And Paul Bird who had stories of shooting hoops on Dale Brown's court at LSU and talking round ball with John Wooden. All right, those are all accomplished guys and friends. But I can honestly say I'm about to spend some time with the most athletic baseball icon we've ever had on the show. Now, when the Superstation TBS was exploding across the nation, he's a big reason people from coast to coast we're following the Atlanta Braves and rooting for the Atlanta Braves. He's a reason, folks, that, well, a whole lot of kids, all shapes, sizes, and colors, 
were fighting to wear jersey number three on their respective teams. Now, he's modest, so I'm not going to embarrass him. But before I bring him on, I just want to touch on some of the awards. You hear me? Some of the awards he picked up while representing the Atlanta Braves. All right. Youngest player in history to win back-to-back MVP awards, 1982 and 83. He was a seven-time All-Star, a five-time Gold Glove winner. That would be consecutively. Four-time Silver Slugger Award, Roberto Clemente Award winner, Atlanta Braves Hall of Famer. The number three jersey, oh yeah, retired by the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Bart Giamatti Award, Lou Gehrig Memorial Award. Oh, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated three times. And when I say there's somebody who really needs no introduction, this definitely is a man who needs no introduction. So we are beyond thrilled to have us here. Join us on a, a Toast to the A-Town. Uh, none other than number three, Dale Murphy. Murph, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for that intro, man. I'll, I got I to gotta listen to that recording every morning when I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and look, we didn't have time to give it all to him, uh, Murph, but I mean, I'm just stating facts here. I, the, the beauty of Thank it is that, is, is, is that you are everything you represented your whole in, entire career, man. So um, we're going to talk about some of that greatness, some of, the, some of the wonderful numbers and stuff. But I want to take you back, Murph, to, to Portland, where you're from. And, <laughs> and, and, of course, the first question is, did you hoop a little bit growing up? Did you Was basketball a sport? I, I, yeah, I played basketball. So here's my basketball story. I, I, I got injured. I obviously started concentrating on baseball, so I actually missed a year. I, I skipped a year of, of basketball uh, to recover from surgery so I could play baseball. But I did play uh, our team went to the playoffs, uh, Oregon State uh, playoffs, which was a big deal back then. Um, and I think I got one letter from one college, I, and I think it was Idaho State. Um, my problem in basketball was I was I was uh, I went through that growth spurt sophomore year, so I I got taller, but I got slower. I was that you know how you go through those growths, oh, right? Everything's got to catch up. But I had a blast playing basketball, and you know. I just got to say this, and you mentioned TBS, and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about it, but Mm -hmm. when you were talking about, did you mention John Wooden? Someone. So so what's crazy, Paul Bird, who we we all love. So Paul Bird, between him him, uh, uh, playing baseball at LSU and being on a national championship team, he just hung out on the baseball. So so the fact that he knew Dale Brown when he was pitching for the Angels, John Wooden happened to wander in there. I got you. And because he knew Dale Brown and stuff, he ended up talking to John Wooden for like 20 minutes, which he said was a great, great day in his life. I, that, that is way cool. Never, never met John Wooden personally, but he was a baseball fan and he watched the Braves on TBS. And I, I found that out, you know, uh, a few years ago, someone said, you know, uh, you were one of John Wooden's favorites. Just want you to know. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, and uh, growing up in Oregon in ba- what was it back then? The Pac-10, the Pac-8. Pac-8, uh-huh. Uh, uh, when UCLA would come to town and play Oregon, Oregon State. I mean, it was it, it was incredible. Um, so I, I, the other connection to basketball that I'm really thankful for uh, is is the Blazers? I, I was, you know, I, I remember when the Blazers we were like, what's what's going on? We got an NBA team. We'd go down there. I remember seeing a walked right by Will Chamberlain. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got uh, courtside seats once against the Celtics. Um, uh, I got a loose ball. Didn't know what to do. No. With it. Threw, yeah, threw threw it back to John Havlicek. Uh, and 
and got to have dinner with John Havlicek uh, oh. in, in West Palm Beach one day during spring training, and I shared that story with him. But oh the Blazers are, are part of the DNA. You know, I was going through the 70s in high school, and we were there when they announced the name, the Portland Trail Blazers. Everybody booed. Uh, and uh, Jeff Petrie, Rookie of the Year. I think he was co-Rookie of the Year with uh, Dave Cowens. I can't remember, but I, I just – I uh, one of the first books I read was uh, "The Open Man" by Dave DeBusher. I waited, I waited outside the locker room when we they played the Knicks and got Dave DeBusher to sign it. I was probably, you know, a freshman. Uh, so, you know, I, I love hoops. I, I I tried not to foul out in high school. That was my main goal. If I could, if I could finish the game, but I have a lot of great memories about basketball in Oregon, but. Yeah, I ended up playing baseball and got drafted by the Braves in 74, and off I went. You know what? Let me uh, stick with you. Uh, throw it again. Uh, we're so thrilled to have you. So we're, I, you. I'm not going to do like I do every episode and, and make it about me, but a little bit about me. So <laughs> uh, uh, when I worked at ESPN, one of our coordinating producers was a guy named Chris Ramsey. And me being a basketball guy my whole life, uh, Chris Ramsey was Dr. Jack Ramsey's son. Oh, cool. And, yeah. it, and of course, Dr. Jack ended up uh, uh, working ESPN radio and, and stuff. And for for those of you who may be too young and don't want to <laughs> hit the YouTube yet. So Dr. Jack was the coach of the great Portland Trailblazers. And that was even though they had the big redhead and Bill Walton, uh, yeah. the system, uh, uh, the greatness of everything is, is Jack Ramsey. And that's whether Portland, that's whether Buffalo, yeah, all of it. So I got the chance to work with Dr. Jack and work kind of wow. for his son and everything. And I always tell all the kids, you know, it's a huge world, but it's a small world. And I, right. and I right. keep learning that my entire life. Let's get you to uh, let's get you onto on the diamond, though. So first of all, we talk about the Hall of the Hall of Fame numbers to anybody that's a fan of the Braves or anybody that watched you play. So we all say that. I know you don't make a big deal out of that, but that just is what it is for those of us that watched you, Dale. But the start of your career, some folks might not remember that you had 19 days as a catcher. And and could we be could we honestly say it? They weren't good ones. <laughs> yeah, yes, you you can very honestly, and I I can say it too. Yeah, Andre, I got drafted. So here was, you know, I got drafted first round, fifth player pick. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, by the Braves. I mean, fifth player picked overall. Mm -hmm. And I was a catcher. I was supposed to make the Braves in a couple of years and, and be the starting catcher and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I love to share this story because uh, it baseball and life, you know, as we all know, is really about how resilient we are because mm -hmm. life is crazy yes. and you're going to have to bounce back from whatever. And I learned a big lesson about resilience early in my career as as a catcher drafted as a catcher and supposed to make the team. And then, well, the best way to describe it is I got the yips throwing, which uh -huh. is not an uncommon thing for mm -hmm. an athlete. Some guys get it at the free throw line. Some guys get it putting it's, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I just, my defense as a catcher just was not going to get me to the, to the big leagues, to Atlanta. Uh -huh. And I had to change positions. I went to first base. It didn't work out there. And then Bobby Cox called me up and said, Murph, what do you think about the outfield? And I was kind of like, do I have a choice, Bobby? He goes, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so I, by hitting, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things that happens in life. Uh, you just, you've got to just, I kept showing up. I was really struggling, but I just kept showing up. And my hitting, you know, I started hitting some home runs. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Bobby's like, look, Murph, you can hit. You're, you're hitting with some power. Let's find a position for you. So Bobby saved saved my career, really, by mm-hmm. making up. He actually moved the roster around to give me a chance in 1980, in spring training in 1980, to give me a chance to play outfield. And I made my first all-star team in 1980 as an, all, as an outfielder. Awesome. And and <laughs> 80. So six years earlier, I was drafted as a catcher. And so I'm very grateful for Bobby and the Braves. They stuck with me. Um, I, I'm just really fortunate. But the lesson that I learned, I, I really felt like, honestly, felt like quitting a couple times because mm-hmm. it was so frustrating. I didn't have a vision of, oh, I'm going to be an outfielder. Uh, but the Braves and Bobby said, you know, we're going to hang in there with you. So it takes people to believe in you, mm-hmm. give you a chance, and and you just keep showing up. And it may not, you may not end up where you think you, uh, where you thought you were going to end up, but you probably, right. I guess you end up where you're supposed to be. <laughs> right, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, if you show up. And I'm very thankful and learned a great lesson about resilience during that time. But it was, it, it was not a, it was not a straight path, Andre, gotcha. to, to Atlanta. It was a little crooked. You know, I, I think uh, uh, going back, and I, I, got, I grew up in San Diego, so maybe and even a little bit knowing the Padres' entire history, and a little before your era, I believe, but um, there was a hotshot uh, uh, prospect, I believe, who was from the state of Georgia, who was a catcher, a guy by the Mike name Ivy? of Mike, Mike, Mike <laughs> Ivey. Yeah, and I think I, Mike yeah. Ivey is the same kind of thing that you're saying. He, of course, you're on the expansion team. You can play through all that, but then he had a thing where he's like, I, I, I don't, I, I can't, I can't throw the ball back to the pitcher. I, yeah, I, I had a little th- that thing. Did you not? Did you enjoy catching uh, uh, before yeah. you got to the bigs? That that's that's that was one of the frustrating things because catching's like a quarterback. I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, baseball, they're, especially in the outfielders, there's some standing around. Let's be honest. That's just the <laughs> yes. nature oh, of the game. Oh, my God. But, but catching, you know, every day you're working with a pitcher, you're, it's, it's, the, it's the best. Uh-huh. It is the best. Uh-huh. And you're, you're working with a different guy every day that has different stuff, different personality. You're trying to get the other team out. You're working together every day. It's, a, uh-huh. it's, it's intense. It's fun. Uh-huh. And it's the I I've always said it's the best position. Now the careers don't typically last as long right. as other positions because of the wear and tear. But yeah, I I did like catching, and uh, you know psychologically it, it it messed me up for a while. But mm-hmm. but but uh, you know it really helped. It, it, you know obviously I needed a position change. I was just going to share that with Mike Ivy. Uh-huh. So I'm probably boy I'd have to look at the exact years. But I am visiting my grandparents in Tri Cities, Washington, uh-huh. uh, Southeast Washington, just that. across the river from Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a minor league team there. And I've been to some games previously. I might have been in eighth or ninth grade. I got to see when Mike was there. So they go, you got to go to this this A ball rookie league. They they got their new prospect. His name's Mike Ivy. And I, I got Mike's autograph. They said, they said, go get it. And I went over there. And later on, of course, I got to meet Mike uh-huh. as we played as we played the Padres early uh-huh. in my career. He was still there playing first base. All right. And uh, and uh, and wow. he was from. Where was he from? I, 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 I think he was from Atlanta. Definitely from Georgia. I think he was yeah, from Atlanta. Definitely. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember where he went to high school, but. It's just weird. Like it's it's it, it was just a funny thing to be able to say to him in five or six years from that time. Yeah, Mike, I met you back in in, 
Usually it goes like this. Well, how old were you? Oh, I was 10. <laughs> it blows him away. But anyway. You know, you know so, Dale, it's, it's funny. Um, you bring up the outfield. And, uh, you know, Kenny Lofton has, has been a friend of mine for, for, for a long time. And and Kenny's a, a you know, like, there's no middle ground with, with Kenny. People either like him a lot or they don't like him a lot. A lot of my friends are that way. You know, John Calipari is a friend of mine. There's no middle ground. But you know what, Dale, if you're a friend of mine, I'm going to speak up for you and um, say my relationship with that person is my relationship with that person. But I bring up Kenny because for knowing him for what did, he ends up coming to the Yankees during a, uh, when I'm living in New York. Yeah. And one of the things I'd never asked or thought about, even though I worked in the media and stuff, just, you know, talking about your day-to-day, and he was kind of complaining to me um, about a pitcher who wasn't around the plate. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. He goes like, I'm in the outfield. It's boring. <laughs> if you can't. Yeah. And, and it was the first time I truly got from somebody that I knew that when you're in the outfield, time stops. <laughs> or yeah. your focus has to be unbelievable because time stops. Exactly. It's it's the hardest place to play mentally because of the downtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Jones was is is the best center fielder probably that that lived in uh, mm-hmm. in the in the game. People said he was better than Willie Mays and mm-hmm. compared him there. Eleven Gold Gloves, etc. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Andrew played like a shortstop. In other words, you're going to get more ground balls and action at shortstop. But that's the way you got to play the outfield. Is every pitch. Mm-hmm. is 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 gonna uh a ball's gonna be hit to you but <laughs> you're exactly right and, and so was uh Kenny Lofton you still could go three innings without a ball now if the pitcher doesn't have control it, yeah. it, it, it it's uh this th- there's a whole bunch of advantages if you're throwing strikes mm-hmm. your defense is always ready mm-hmm. and really that your your mind starts to wander if he walks a couple guys you know, then strikes a guy out, then walks another guy and you can't help, but you, so my message to outfielders is what Andrew did. You've got to play like a shortstop. It's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. You struck out last time. You got to forget it. Mm-hmm. Pitcher doesn't have control. Uh, you got to, you got to be ready every pitch uh, because you could make a game, sa- game saving play. Uh, but that's what's tough about the outfield, and I certainly uh, understand what Kenny's saying. Is uh-huh. is a pitcher's not around the plate in outfield? Uh-huh. In the outfield, it can get uh, uh, it can get a little boring. There's that's just you know you hate to use that word, right, right, but you got but you got to fight it. But it's it's true. And and it's and again that wasn't like a something for the papers or or or, or TV yeah. and it was it was nothing I had never heard before it's from true, the heart though. like that and I just knew it was like wow I just I but how how would I know here's another thing interesting for me though and, and you mentioned uh, uh, when you make the All Star team I think uh, Murph uh, uh, we think about three on three basketball so much I could take you. James Rodney Richard, who was an all-star of the year with you <laughs> at six eight. And I'm just guessing Ken Griffey Sr. And I'm just thinking that three on three team could probably win money uh against any other three. How about those three? Uh you sure you want me on that team? Yeah, yeah I, I definitely want you on on, on, on the team. And, I mean, right, <laughs> well, James no, Rodney was six eight, right? No, EJR was was intimidating at the plate, and I'm sure he could he could uh uh, uh pay, play low post for us. I'd love to be on that team. I I played with senior, you know, a lot of people forget I played with uh, um, uh, uh, Ken Griffey senior, you know, at the end of his career before he got together with, with junior in Seattle. 
a great family um yes. and they were very athletic so i i'd take our chances yeah I think you'd be in, in pretty good shape. <laughs> Murph, uh, how did you end up with jersey number three? Did you have that at, at, at Wilson High School? Yeah. In, or, or how did you end that with the Braves? No, no special thing. In fact, my favorite number growing up was number nine, and uh, Wilson High School retired my number nine. It's there uh, with at Wilson along with me and Wayne Twitchell, who pitched for the Phillies. Uh, they retired both of our numbers. But I went to spring training. I think my first number was 52, you know, as a rookie. And then when I finally made the team, Bill, Bill Akery's, uh, our equipment manager and traveling secretary said, Murph, 52 is, you know, <laughs> hey, you got to get a different number. And I was like, you know, I was, I, I think somebody was already nine and I was a rookie, but I, I was just like, Hey, I'm just happy to be here. Happy what do you think? <laughs> what do you think? And he said, I think three is a good number. So I said, great. And that's how we ended up with three. Unbelievable there. Now, Murph, because you're big, I, one of the things I, I remember is, is just, you know, you have a, you had a long swing, but just because you're tall, does that necessarily mean you had to have a long swing? It's a challenge in baseball, uh, kind of like golf. I think, mm -hmm. obviously, like golf, taller taller players and longer arms have a little bit more room for air, mm -hmm. you know, especially in golf, uh, since it's so exacting, it's, I think it's an advantage and I, I think you could prove it, but most people believe, yeah, kind of a, a shorter, shorter arm span is not, mm -hmm. is not a, is not a disadvantage in baseball. Okay. The, the advantage of the length in baseball is a little more leverage, okay. uh, just with the body size and, and stuff like that. There's, the 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 uh, the example of the uh, hitter that was tall and amazing is Ted Williams. Uh, you know he was very tall, hardly struck out, but typically it, it it's and your strike zone's bigger, right? So so you have a little bit of a disadvantage. Your advantage is is typically the ball will go further just because of the the mass mm -hmm. and the and the length of the swing can generate a little bit more. Uh, uh, power, but yeah, typically tall guys have a little bit of a, a problem. I tried to not think about it and think about the positives of being bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, the ball, you know, has a chance to go further. I, mm -hmm. It's it's not set in stone, but you know, just physics. Mm -hmm. But Ted Williams, uh, I met him at at, a, at the Hall of Fame once. We were playing an exhibition game, and he watched all our games on TBS too. Yes, sir. And he said, Dale Murphy, good to meet you. You know, I watch your games all the time, and he's like. You got to stop swinging at those bad pitches. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, Yeah, you're right. I, I felt like now I wish I would have said, Ted, you're Ted Williams. I'm Dale Murphy. I'm strike. I'm striking out 140 or 50 times. You struck out 30 times a year. Okay, but his his eyesight was you know legendary. And but he's one of the few I would say I think in the history of the game. That had a tall, long swing that right. didn't strike out very much. Hey, Murph, how did you, um, when you get your first gold glove, how how gratifying was it, and and <laughs> and, and and how much work did you put into that? I mean, because you you to me as a kid, you dream I'm going to hit in the big leagues, and then you went around Portland and and that whole area kicking butt as a youngster, teenager, and all that. So in my mind, you got to think at some point I'm going to always hit, but that first gold glove. I mean, how, how gratifying was that? And, and was it a surprise that you could work your way into that, especially coming from catcher? That, that's an interesting question that, that I don't get asked a lot. I mean, I get asked a lot about the gold gloves or I, it's mentioned, but they don't ask me because it really is 
a really important part of my career. When Bobby moved me to the outfield, I finally had a spot, Andre, that I was like, I, I can contribute defensively because at catcher in first base, I was a liability. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I worked like crazy. I got out there. Bobby Dews was our coach every day. He, you know, you got to take ground balls actually in the outfield, not just fly balls. I, I just worked as hard as I could because it was so psychologically satisfying. You know, it's, it's, I just don't know how to explain it except to say that I, I was like, man, I could win some games out here in the outfield with my defensive play. And I just worked as hard as I could. And I had a strong arm in the outfield. Accuracy isn't critical. You just got to kind of get it. You know, I just relaxed. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you it, what it did was, Andre, it, it helped me offensively. Wow. Because imagine thinking as you're playing the game, I got to go out and play defense at first base. And mm -hmm. man, I don't want to mess up. I mean, your whole mindset gotcha. is, is negative. Mm -hmm. When I got to the outfield, my whole mindset was positive. I ended up winning a gold glove. And mm -hmm. for my defense, mm -hmm. I'll tell you one thing. There were probably some minor league teammates of mine that were like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Dale Murph won an award for his defense. <laughs> Are you kidding? Come on now. <laughs> so it, it, it's an interesting question. It, I think it really led to my winning the MVP awards. I really do. Mm -hmm. hey, it, it's so just, it, it set me up. Let me ask you, think about this too. Okay, so for the Braves that, that, that I've watched forever, and I'm just going to focus on, on defense for a little bit. Um, Otis Nixon, ridiculous defense. I'm watching him climb the wall. The yeah. Atlanta native Marquise Grissom. I mentioned Kenny Lofton, you know, the stolen bases, but him running around out there. Yourself. And for all of that greatness we see, and I'm leaving guys out and stuff, in my mind as a non-player, Andrew is almost a cut above that defensively. Yes. Is, is, is it fair to say that? Yeah, it is. I mean, to, to not say it probably just isn't you haven't seen him play. or yes. <laughs> And Andrew was, you know, I mean, you don't win 11 gold gloves uh, for, for uh, you know, just – it's it's a vote that I don't I don't think it's statistically you know it's not like Andrew had the best fielding percentage right at least when I played what it was was who is the guy that's going to win you games out there and it's voted I don't I don't know who votes on it anymore but the point is it's like no Andrew Jones is the best for eleven years I mean <laughs> that's crazy uh, just he not only had a, a great arm great speed great anticipation but again he played center field like a shortstop i'll tell you one thing that people do not talk about andre about the strength of andre jones he played shallow he played closer to second base than anyone i've ever seen Ooh, now man. you say you say well what's that mean that means when there's a guy on second and you're the third base coach and andrew gets a single thrown to him that third base coach knows that andrew's right there mm -hmm. Most of us played deeper because we were a little nervous about the ball going over our head, which is not what you should think. What you should think, like Andrew did, was I'm going to play in. If the ball goes over my head, I'm going to go get it. But I'm going to stop that guy scoring from second. And he, he was incredible. So wow. in a lot of ways, and you know, he's a, he's there's no question he's a cut above of 
of all of us and mm -hmm. I think anyone in the game really I I saw Willie play a little bit but uh -huh. you know Bobby Cox said he, he Andrew played better than Willie Mays, so I'll, I'll take that. There you go. End of the story there. Hey, Murph, one of the things about uh, a sport is that uh, it, it, it's unfair, but it is, it's it's always a part of sports. If people are going to compare error, compare this, compare this, and compare that. Not going to do that. We may do that when we get you, get you on another time. Sure. One of the things that should never, ever change, it, and, and it speaks to who you are, whether you are a athlete, whether you are a fan, whether you are, whether you're an American to me, and, and it's in some of the books that you have written, and it's all about approaching the games the right way. Okay, so guess what? That means honesty, uh, not cheating. And, and 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 you believe in that from a youth standpoint, and I know that's very something that you've always believed a core value, and that's something that goes above size, race, right. location, any any of that. Was that ingrained to you at a young age? Yeah, I think I think I'm well. I'm very thankful for my parents, but uh, it, it isn't necessarily. I think they sat me down and said, "Hey, you you know, played the game the right way." But it was just it, it was just obvious to me as I started to play and as I got into high school, we my my coach Jack Dunn taught us all how to play the right way. And then I go through the minor leagues. And then what happened, a lot of those books, uh, I mean, that book for the for kids is written as a response to the steroid issues. Yes. Here's here's the thing about bending rules. And so it, mm -hmm. it, it, the the message to youth is to, to kids when I tell them is, look. Yeah, play the game the right way. Do it honestly, but not only the game, but your life because yes. it's your legacy. That's all you're left with after you're done is your legacy. People don't care how many home runs you hit. People don't care how many. You know, they just what's your legacy? And if you did things the right way, you know what they're going to say about you? They're going to say you did things the right way. What else? What else can you? That's the highest compliment you can receive. The challenge is is to get that long-term view to mm -hmm. kids. But that's what I tell them. I'll say, you look, I'm an old guy, you're young, but someday before you know it, you're going to be done playing. Mm -hmm. Do it the right way. And, yeah. and, and people will respect you for whatever happens. And I also love the fact that uh, in that, you also said that for the youth, that what's important, that every, every kid can't make a team. Every kid can't be out there, but these are values. It's important for you as a youngster, whether you're, you can be on the debate team or whether you're in the yeah. marching band or whether you're in any type of Absolutely. activity, you really encourage that, Dale. Absolutely. I mean, obviously I'm involved in sports, but you know, I ended up with an artist, a lawyer, a professor, uh, three boys that, that, that had some time in the NFL. But the point is you can do a lot of things in your life experience them all but when you're a kid do something uh and as a parent uh let them experience things extracurricular activities mm -hmm. singing dancing acting chess whatever it is because you just can't learn everything in the classroom don't avoid the classroom but there are lessons to be learned in, in a in a field of competition teamwork sacrifice how to win how to lose how to play the right way uh that that don't I'm, you know, it's hard to learn in the classroom. Uh, uh, but if you're on the, on a, on a math club outside the classroom and you have some competition. So yes, I am totally 
supportive of every extracurricular activity. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when budgets are hit hard, the extracurricular activities are cut. So we got to do all we can as a community, as parents, uh, to support extracurricular activities. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's vital to growing up and uh, vital to learning how to, how to face things. You talk about the youngsters being able to learn and say, so we'll make this, uh, we're going to narrow cast now. I'm going to make this a little beehive state uh, focus here. But I mean, you've, you've had kids, uh, you've, you had, had sons at, at Utah state at, as a Ute, I know Weber state. I don't know about down there in Southern Utah either, but so uh, basically you're like, it's all a palette boys do what you want to do. Yeah. It's, it's really hard as a parent. Cause you kind of have these pre preconceived notions. Uh, you know, I thought everybody was going to be a shortstop, you know, for the, for the bridge, uh, you know, and we ended up with Maddie. We have one girl and, but they all played baseball at one time, but it's a challenge for parents to, to identify what they really love. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just close with this one story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, we hit almost every college in, in Utah. Uh, I was taking McKay to a game. He was about eight or nine, and a baseball game. I go, McKay, what's your favorite position? He goes, bench warmer. Oh. And I said, I was like, I said, no, no, seriously. And he goes, well, I am serious. <laughs> and, and I said, but remember you were playing right field the other day and that guy hit a double against the fence and you came up and you, you threw a strike the second base and you got that guy mm-hmm. and he looked at me and he said dad i may be good at it but it doesn't mean i like it <laughs> so they, they kids especially nowadays mm-hmm. are good at a lot of things mm-hmm. and as a parent we got to make sure they're enjoying what they're doing and let them find you know their path mm-hmm. and it's hard as an ex-athlete not to not to push, you know, right? Like, <laughs> but like I said, we ended up w- with uh, kids that are doing all kinds of different things. And, and uh, that's gets back to the so extracurricular activities, how thankful I am for little league umpires, how thankful I am for little league coaches, people that don't make any money, but give our kids a chance to play mm-hmm. I, or, or band or, you know, music acting, whatever it is. Thank you for volunteering. And, and giving those kids a chance to play. But um, they can be good at a lot of things, especially this generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find what they like and what they're strong at and pursue it. One quick thing before I let you go, Murph. Um, we have a restaurant here called Murph's. And here on the podcast, <laughs> we're trying to, you know, we're Thank trying you. to do what we can to, to, to bring the restaurant industry back. We hopefully we're getting to yeah, the end, the end of this pandemic thing. And you being a part of, of that, first of all, um, there's there's a bacon bergen berber bacon bur- bourbon burger i'll get it out <laughs> easy for you to say and i'm just telling you uh folks know that i eat from coast to coast and i recommend why well, make the recommendation on it it's some serious stuff so um how are you guys as far as coming back and as we're getting people back into the stadiums we're back uh murph's is open it's over in the galleria uh, uh across 285 from ball the ballpark from Truist Park, there's a bridge you can walk over. We're about a 10 minute walk. We love working with uh, uh, the Galleria Center there. Uh, they've mm-hmm. been great. Uh, they've helped us out during this last year. So we're open uh, and open for business and just ramping up like a lot of restaurants. Uh, um, and I agree with you that that bourbon bacon burger or whatever it is yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> it, it is amazing. We have great burgers. We have great wings. Mm-hmm. We have really great wraps. It's really quality food, casual food. 
my manager, Chuck Douglas, is an amazing guy and has helped us survive, and we're excited. Well, I know anybody that's been to a Braves game has been there, but if you listen here, you're coming to Atlanta or you got any chance to go, make sure you go up, drop by Murph's, and who knows, you might see a big, tall guy that used to wear number three <laughs> back there in the kitchen area for, for a photo opportunity or something, that's but right. it's, it's that's right. possible there. Murph, I can't thank you enough for joining us here on a Toast to the A-Town, man. It's nothing but an honor. I appreciate your time, man, and definitely look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, thanks so much, Andre. Really enjoyed it. Anytime. Love to be on with you. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks again now. And folks, uh, I don't know what else. Uh, uh, again, I, I, I don't need to add anything to that. So um, an icon, an Atlanta icon, a baseball icon, but really just a great egg, a great human being, man. And uh, uh, to get some of the to get some of those nuggets from uh, 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 Dale Murphy, I tell you what, uh, just like on the song, today was a good day. All right. So we appreciate you joining us here. Uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button. This is a toast to the A-Town presented by the Basketball uh, Podcast Network. I'm Andre Aldrich. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And I will see you next time.